yeah, you need to get it out. And then when you're doing it too, you're just like, you have all these feelings and you don't really understand them. You haven't taken the time to really stop and fully hear them. You know they're there, but you're busy doing this. And when you're journaling, it's like, oh, maybe that heaviness was related to this or, oh, this is really a dream of mine. And you're just giving yourself the permission to kind of release and let it all flow. And then I learn about myself things that they're just my thoughts. I'm just writing them down. They were probably my thoughts five minutes ago, but I didn't know. I didn't know they were in there until I just let it pour out. And I hate when I go back and look at it. But a lot of times in the moment, I'll look and I'll be like, oh, like I had no idea. But thank God I just ripped it all down and let it come out. But that's really interesting what you say about creating space because it does. It empties all the commotion and then you're, you have more space for new thoughts and you're calmer and more open for new thoughts. Hey guys, welcome to the Power and Persistence podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Blois, business owner, mentor, self-care advocate, manifester, wife, and mama of two. This podcast is designed to make you feel seen and inspired. Join me for honest and raw conversations with successful women and purpose-driven entrepreneurs. We'll explore how they imperfectly but persistently juggle career, family, and relationships, all while honoring their authentic selves. Let's dive in. Hey guys, I'm so excited to come on and let you know that I have created a free journal template for you. Badasses build boundaries. Boundaries have been essential to me in my healing journey, and I know they can do the same for you. It's when we say no to the things that don't serve us that we're really able to be true to who we authentically are and who we are looking to become. So go into the show notes or go to my website, jessieblois.com to find the link and download your copy today. I'm here today with Jenna Hermans, and I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast, Jenna. Jenna is living proof that you can create a life of calm within chaos and overwhelm. She uses her master's degree in psychology, master's degree in organizational management, and over 15 years of human resources experience to build strong teams, both at work and at home. Jenna is the co-founder of Be Courageous, a busy mom of four, a coach, and an author. I'm tired just reading that. As seen in Forbes, The Sun, Entertainment Tonight, Yahoo, and more, Jenna takes an intentional and inclusive approach to developing life hacks that help others go from chaos to calm, which doubles as the title of her newest book that launched this month. And it's a great book. Jenna, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jesse. It's such a pleasure. I'm so excited for us to connect. I love that we already know, like, we have so much in common already. We do. And I'm so excited for us to connect too, because I feel like everything that you're putting into this world, I support it. I love it. I think it's so important to get this message across and to find ways to empower other women. And you're doing that. And I think it's incredible. I have just, we'll get back to your book, but I just want you to know um, I got sent your book and I started reading it. And yes. Does it cover so many important things about motherhood and life? Absolutely. But like, you're so funny doing it. And you can just feel your personality coming through. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to like this. I'm going to get into this because the book has character and personality. And you can it feels like we're talking or hearing straight from you. So nicely done. I really enjoy it. Thank you. That was definitely an intentional approach for this book that it feels like you're talking with a friend that there's someone who's in the trenches knows what you're going through add some humor and make it make all of the content really relatable right someone's not just telling you do this but they're actually connecting with you and I feel like your humor is similar to mine and our language and our personality so I'm reading it I'm like oh this is my type of woman love it (laughs) <laughs> it's a great book. It's called, here guys, I'll show it to you. I think Jenna has it in her background, but it's called Chaos to Calm. And it's great. You should definitely get it. Um, okay, Jenna, let's start from the beginning because as I was telling you before I hit record, I really like to talk about childhood. Um, as I grow and as I talk to so many other people, our childhood really shapes us. 
whether it brings out our strengths or it's our challenges and what we're trying to reflect on and release, it really helps create who we are. So will you give us a little bit of background about your childhood and who makes you Jenna? Absolutely. So I grew up not far from where you live now in Southern California. I'm a Valley girl through and through, born and raised. Uh, My parents split when I was two and I started going between two different households at a pretty young age, which definitely dictated a lot of my experience and choices as I got older, as you know deeply about. Um, So just having that family dynamic from the very beginning was a big part of who I've become. Additionally, on my mother's side specifically, I have a very large family, a lot of cousins and aunts and uncles and lots of people. So a big community, something that is very that became very important to me or something I realized, right, a value that now is important to me is having a community of people around, whether it's intentional or built in because it's your it's your family. Who do you have around you to support you and your and your core and your family? Right. So big family, multiple households, living in Los Angeles, left L.A. to go get out of the bubble, which is L.A., left to go to school in Northern California. So went far enough away where it was different, but not so far. Didn't go across the country. Right. Didn't need like this big exodus. Um, And that going going to Davis, which is where I went to school, UC Davis, that shifted my perspective so much. In realizing, yes, I was in a bubble in Los Angeles. And that's where my mind really expanded. Even as diverse as Los Angeles is, it's very LA. It's still, it's LA and it's a very unique place and it's unlike anywhere else in the world. So leaving was incredibly eye opening and kind of like a world, just a worldly experience in of its own. Yes. No, I agree. I I went to school in Northern California as well. And it's the energy and the mentality is just very different than what we experienced growing up down here close to the city. Um, okay, I want to go back to your parents divorcing at two. Are you an only child? I'm an only child between the two of them. Okay. They each have their own children with of other with their partners okay so my brother my parents got divorced he's the youngest of us but he was 18 months and his experience from that is like he just has no memory of married parents is it similar for you yeah i have no i remember meeting people you know as you get older and you talk about family dynamics and i moved to mm-hmm. schools um at fourth grade meeting people for the first time and they're like wait your parents are divorced do you ever wish they were back together? How is that for you? And I'm like, I don't know. How's it like for you having your parents together? I know nothing different. This is the only reality I've ever had. So right. it's it's not like to me growing up that way, it didn't feel like there was this big disruptive experience that then, you know, was traumatic and shifted my safety of the world or my perception of what family dynamics look like and uh-huh. how to trust people and those core relationships. It was nothing like that. If anything, it it expanded for me the amount of love that one could feel in the relationships that entered life later with their partners and watching them get married and have uh-huh. children. And it was more of a, for me, I guess, also, maybe a social experiment, the way I looked at it with curiosity of, oh, that's how some people do it. That's how some people do it. And thankfully, I had psychological safety so that I could be present to experience all of it and not feel unearthed by witnessing these different, very different experiences. So that makes me think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that they separated in a healthy way and you were the priority. Because yeah, I, I okay, so. okay, because I, I believe so, and definitely on yeah. There's there's definitely a lot to uncover in that, or there's a lot that's sure that's under that's the whole soil. So yeah, yeah, for sure. But overall, I you know I I felt loved by both my parents through the process. That's great. And then you watched them build other families. That then you were able to be a part of the birth and the happenings of new beginnings. To varying degrees. Yeah. Wow. Okay. 
So then you grow up down here, you go to Davis, and you said your mindset shifted when you got there. What shift? What happened? What what was what were you exposed to that you were like, huh, this is different? You know, it was what for the first time I felt like a minority. I growing up in Los Angeles, I know I am Jewish by birth and culture. And when you're in Los Angeles, there's so many other Jewish people around. The community is huge. So leaving L.A., going literally anywhere else, all of a sudden I felt, oh, yeah, I'm a minority here. Majority of people around me are not Jewish. And Mm -hmm. some people never met a Jewish person in their entire existence. And I was the first Mm -hmm. Jewish person they ever met. Uh, So that alone was a huge eye-opener of I'm I'm not just the norm, right? That that part of me is the norm. So here, this will blow your mind. I grew up in Thousand Oaks, which is 15, 20 miles from where you grew up. And I was like the only Jew. I know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah, just like the just a couple towns over. It was like not until we got into like Agora Calabasas that there's a Jewish population. So I always felt like the the minority growing up, but I was just in Thousand Oaks. That's not wild. I know it's wild. Okay, so then you're in Davis, you're having all these experiences. What were you studying? I was studying psychology. Okay, so you knew you were interested in humanity. And then do you shortly after that meet your husband? What or do you go to work? What's the next part for you? Oh, no, I, I went to work. I went okay. to work. So I took night classes. <laughs> like I um I definitely wanted to build my my life so to speak and uh-huh. I mean that's a very um subjective definition of me wanting to stand on my two feet my my family my upbringing was very much about especially on my mother's side my grandfather moved here from India with his wife and they started with nothing and built up a life and so it was ingrained in me from a very young age that you need to build up your independence and be able to stand on your own two feet so very strong worth work ethic, very high value placed on education. So after I was done with Davis, moved back to Los Angeles, started working, started going to school at night, and then continued working until I went to go get my master's degree. And while I was in my master's program and running a preschool at the time, that's when oh, wow. I was in my husband. Okay, so you're, is your master's in psychology as well? No, my master's in organizational management. That's cool. Okay, so how did you figure out you wanted to do? I like I wouldn't even know that's an option for a master's degree. So it kind of happened in a very serendipitous way. I started going into HR again, kind of, and the universe is kind of pulling it all together. Well, and I love things happen that way. That's right. That's when you know it's good when it's just kind of organically evolving. It just happened. So my first job out of college was working at a preschool. And I loved being in the classroom, but I preferred being in the office. So I spent more of my time doing the behind the scenes, but I loved being in the in the field of education. That just lit me up. And being with small children in that age range in the early childhood development phase is the thing that just makes me so happy. It's such a beautiful age. So was doing back-end work, which is where I found my sweet spot. And then when I, I left the school pursuing other, to, to do different things, I thought I wanted to go into corporate environment and got okay. my first administrative assistant job, assisting the, oh my gosh, the VP of, I can't, honestly, I can't even remember what her title was, but it was in the HR umbrella. HR umbrella as the administrative assistant to this huge VP. And that job was a very, it was a very short stint to that job. She got let go. So no more assistant needed for her. Looking for jobs again, got connected with the HR director at a, an apparel company. And they're like, oh, you've been doing some HR. Why don't you come work over here in our HR department? And so it just kept going in that way that all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I guess I'm in human resources. Yeah, you were being led. Yeah. And it, it was such a a generous experience, right? It was just so natural and organic that it didn't seem like I needed to 
to shift course. I didn't, it didn't, it's not like it didn't feel good. I was like, no, this feels like an, a very nice neutral step. And while that organization, I realized, huh, maybe this is where I want to do my ministers. I want to do it in business, but I want to do it from the human side of business, not from the strategic or like yeah. what people call the hard skills of business. I prefer the soft skills psychology, right? Let's go back yeah. to that. So that's where I started looking up what are master's degrees that are in business, but that have that human element focus. And that's where I found organizational management. Cool. So where did you do that? I did that in Los Angeles at Antioch University. Okay. It's a very small private school, very niche in what they offer. That's very cool. Okay. So you have this really well-rounded background. What did you, did you at that point, because how old were you at this point? I started my master's degree, I want to say 24. Okay, so you're a baby at this point. Did you have this idea in your head of I'm going to get this master's degree and then this is what I'm going to do. It's my life. Did you have a vision then or you were just, you were open? Yeah, it's totally open. I had no idea what the future was going to hold, but I was ready for the ride. I just wanted to experience the ride and figured wherever it's going to go, I trust. I trust that it's going to take me to a great place. How did you learn to build that trust muscle? Is that something you've always had? Or is that something that you've done the work to understand that it's all going to be okay? Because I think for me, I, I haven't always had that trust muscle. It's been a lot of anxiety and overwhelm trying to force my vision to take place. And a lot of times that's taking a square peg and trying to put it in a round hole. But life really does do what it needs to do if you trust. So for me, that's called like letting go. I mean, Jenna, I have the word trust on my body, put it on my body. If it's so, is it my everyday reminder? Did that naturally come to you? Or is that something that you very intentionally are like, I'm going to trust the process. And by the way, when you said ride, you did this and up and down, up and down, because you couldn't be more correct. It's a roller coaster. And when you're on a roller coaster and trusting, that's skill, right? Mm -hmm. That's a skill. You know, I think that it's been innate and that because I don't ever remember needing to practice that as a child, like, let me, I need to trust that everything's going to be okay. It just, it just was. Um, but that trust has, has definitely been rocked you know, as different as different life experiences have shown up that sure. in in that roller coaster as wow. things have gone down, I'm like, Ooh, okay, is it going to be okay? And, you know, it's definitely, you know, especially yeah. in the earlier years. And then as a parent that, I mean, the rockiness of trust has, you know, earthquakes. I mean, we're in California, so earthquakes, yeah. lots of earthquakes. But the underlying theme of trust has always been there. I love that you have that innately built into you. But let me ask you, because I think this applies to parents, business owners, humans. What do you do for you when that trust is getting rocked? How do you bring it back to center so that you don't lose your mind? Or, or do you? I mean, I've been known to lose my mind. Yeah, what I've do lost you do? My mind. Yeah, I've really <laughs> lost my mind. But then I, I come back, I lose it, and then I find it again, and then we get back on track. Yeah, right. There's there are definitely moments where that shakiness has has led to losing, mind. and that's kind of where the book came from, or rather, the beginnings of why I wrote this book were mm -hmm. because I had lost my mind. I had totally lost myself, my identity, mm -hmm. my my connection with self and purpose, and all of it was gone. But so the things that I did before, after, now have to do with journaling. I do a yeah. lot of journaling to get back to me. I also find that connection with nature. And I go like this because there's a window outside and I have trees and whatnot outside the window there. So all my gesturing is to think <laughs> outside of you. Uh, but getting back into nature and mm -hmm. feeling and being reminded that our existence as a human being is actually so small. We're just tiny little ants on a log doing our thing, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so to, to see that my problems are, 
are not are not that crazy compared to what else is happening in the world and are insignificant truly to the greater universe and it's when it, when i remind myself of my humanity and my mortality and realizing this is just a temporary moment yeah and this too shall pass and I'm connected to the bigger picture then i can move forward again I think that's really powerful. It reminds me of a quote I heard actually just the other week. It said, a healthy person has a million wishes. An unhealthy person has one. And it really stopped me in my tracks. Um, and it's true. And that really brings you back to how big is this problem, Right. How much is there? I hate to tell people, just be grateful. But really, like, how much is there to actually be grateful for in the scope of it? And then find being able to access that trust muscle, having it strong enough that even when you're not in it, you can find it is is really important. Okay. So you're building your career. I'm trying to get us to this part where you meet your husband and then you instantaneously become a mom of three. Talk to us about that. Oh, yes, that was a big part of the roller coaster. Um, so meet my hubby. We are friends at first, actually. We spend months just being friends. And in that time, I've met the kids. You know, I, I've gotten to know him so well. He's gotten to know me so well relationship then shifts from friendship to romantic and there's already so much love and trust there because there's that friendship foundation um and growing up being a stepchild myself on my mother's side and on my father's side i had relationship with the concept of step parenthood and stepchildhood yeah <laughs> so that helped dictate my choices in how do I approach my own stepmotherhood with these three children? And reminder, so I ran a preschool and right. my first job was in preschool. I love the early childhood ages. The kids at the time, his three children, were all in that age group. So I just loved hanging out with them because in addition to being great kids, they're also in the sweet spot. of. I mean, at the time, the youngest was one, but from one to four. And it was just a blast. It was so much fun. So they're the age that you just kind of thrive on. But then you also really did have that ability. If the youngest was one, they experienced something really similar to what you experienced, which is not super common. So you were really able to step in. So you started dating how long till you got married? So, ooh. Um, math time. So we met in 2011 and we got married 2014. Okay. So three years. Okay. So you have now these three little guys that you're, you're raising. Mm -hmm. And then you added one more to the bunch. Yep. Then we made a person and now we are fully rounded. We've got two girls, two boys, everyone ages six to almost 16. We are, we are complete. You are complete. Okay, so what was the time span between not having children to having four? So, um, so met my husband 2011. I think, you know, I started really getting into their lives the next year, probably, you know, like as we're dating, I'm sure. not raising them yet, um, but starting to maybe spend some time alone and, and, and be with them and started more being another guardian or support uh -huh. adult in their lives, you know, shortly after, because as any intentional adult should, I would think, hope would do with a young child is, is be a nurturer from the beginning. Right. So, and being that that has been my role in my MO since forever, that's just how I showed up from the beginning with them. And then we moved up to the Bay in 2014, um, about six months after we got married. And then they were living with us full time shortly after that. Um, and the baby came into the world in 2016. So it all happened in just five years. 
that it went from I'm childless to I have four children. Yeah, that that's a huge change. And you moved to a city, right, where you didn't really have that community and you're so used to a big family and a lot of people around you. So these are really uncharted times. Did you feel excited and invigorated? Did you feel nervous and scared? Did you feel all of the above? What was that experience like? It was like emotional whiplash of I'm so excited for what's to come and the life we're going to build and what we're going to do here. And also sadness, isolation, resentment. There were, it was, the feelings were all over the place, you know, leaving my family, my friends, my community, this place that, that I called home. With four kids where you need more support than ever, right? Because yeah. now you, you're raising four humans. Mm-hmm. And that when we moved up here and had no built-in support system, yeah, that was one of those places where I got lost. That's where I became really, really lost. Where I, it, that whiplash of I'm single and I've got my life to get my master's degree. I run a business and I'm doing my thing. I have no responsibilities to I have four children and need to kind of build my and continue my career somehow. My my husband's traveling a lot for work. Like it was these two different people. I didn't know who she was while I was in it. And then I'm like, wait, but her. (laughs) Right. So you're also you have this loss, right? Of this life that you've known. And I guess unless you're having triplets, all of us, when we enter into parenthood, it feels like such a shift and you have, you grieve a, a life that you've known for so long, but you did it instantaneously with three. When you were going through that time, he's traveling, you're working and you have four. I, I care. I'm trying to like kind of just sit and wrap my head around it. Were you finding a way to take care of yourself during this time or were you not? And that's what this book is more about. Like, it's kind of like your love letter to women who are in that moment saying, here, let me help guide you because I didn't know what to do. It's the latter. It's definitely the latter because I was working. So when we moved up here, I was working full time, traveling husband, three kids. After we had the fourth, uh, six months later, we started our own business. We started Be Courageous. Okay, and I was going to ask what, when that came into the picture. Yeah, so that was while our youngest was six months old that we're like, let's do this. Let's jump off the cliff and see if the net appears. <laughs> yeah. Or if we have wings, let's see if we can fly. We don't know. Um, and that it was during that transition from I am no longer in corporate. I'm no longer working for something that has, you know, that I have meaning and purpose that I go to every day. And I've got three kids, now a baby, and I wasn't immediately going back to work right afterwards. I was taking my three months, taking my 12 weeks. And in that time, I I didn't want to think about work. I just wanted to be present for the baby and the kids and for our new experience. And in that, that's when everything collapsed for me and it all imploded. I don't know who I am, what I'm doing, what am I here for? I, I... in that transition to becoming a biological parent, you know, and supporting and nurturing and feeding a child with my own body, yeah. as I think we, all of us mothers go through, it's such a transition. Well, yeah. and not to mention all the hormones pumping through your body and your healing from the birth. It's such a transition. And then for someone who's used to working and being busy and being amongst adults, not only is all this happening, but now you're not having conversations all day long, right? Mm-hmm. You're only having child conversations. And for my brain, that was really hard mm-hmm. to not have that outside influence to stimulate me. Because then I thought, it's good to hear your thoughts if you can do it in a healthy way. But I got wrapped up in my thoughts. And I had um, severe postpartum depression as I was navigating through all that. So do you think it was, do you think any part of that, just everything combined is <clears throat> what really made you feel lost? Or can you pinpoint like, no, it's this aspect of that experience where I got lost. It was a accumulation of 
all of these different experiences and intentional choices or unintentional choices over those five years mm-hmm. led to that point of, of of being lost in the woods. It it wasn't one specific thing. It was more of that journey and getting wrapped up in this new life that I've chosen, but didn't mm-hmm. understand the true implications of. I did not, like, I don't think anyone really can, right? Going from being a non-parent yeah. to a parent, going from a, being a non-parent to a step-parent, being a single person to being a married person, going from having community all around to having nobody and feeling isolated to having a job and a purpose to then not. It was... There, there were so many fundamental pillars and infrastructures that, again, got sh- shaken. It, it, like, it put it all in just. It's like here's this new thing, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know, yeah, and and know how to navigate it. So, did you naturally find your way through it, or did you intentionally say, "I need to seek out help"? I, it was an intentional decision, and it started because I noticed that my body could not handle. The situation I was in. I was having panic attacks, anxiety attacks. My nervous system was shot. You know, the wind would would blow the wrong way and I'd start crying. The the overwhelm was palpable in me. And there was one specific day I remember, and I think I wrote about this in the book that I was uh, the breast pump was on because the littlest and I we had we had some disagreements around. Um, breastfeeding so it was pumping and having and having yet another panic attack and it was in that moment or right right as I came out of the panic attack that it occurred to me it's like this lightning bolt hit me that I have so many tools in my tool belt on how to manage this whole scenario in a better way and that was the moment that I made the choice to do it differently, to be more intentional and with my actions and behaviors in the home and for myself to set myself up for success so that I could be a better parent, that I could be a better partner, that I could go back into the workplace, whatever that looked like, with a sense of calm and groundedness, knowing that this is all taken care of. So I needed to lay down that infrastructure for myself. That's what I started doing from moment on was so how can do that so what did you do so i thought about what's the first thing that i need to do right now that would make my stress levels lower and that first thing was meal planning i was like we need to eat all the time the kids are constantly needing to eat dinner happens every day for all the people through the rest of life and that's one of just one of those moments in the day that brought me stress every single day what are we going to have for dinner? I don't know. It's it's like this this question that you know it's going to happen every single day, but it comes as a shock. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh my God, it has to happen now. But so-and-so needs me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. so if, like, if I can get just dinner figured out, okay. then that'll relieve so much stress in every single day. Okay. So first was meal planning. And then you're also like making lunches, right? Yes. Okay, but I that, find that a stressful. I have to tell you, that's one of like my least favorite things to do ever. I don't know why. I just don't like having to make lunches. I mean, if we're at home and it's the weekend, I don't mind. It's just the prepping the lunches, first of all. Um, okay, what was next? Well, let's have the piece. Your book is broken down into five main areas. Efficiency, habits, community communication, and self-care. So were these the five areas that you in this moment started to look at and that's why you wrote about them? Is that how so, it worked? No, it, it, the okay. way that it worked was that I just started doing things. I just started implementing things like meal planning and exercise and, you know, like meeting new people and through that, I started writing these things down, actually. Like, what are okay. these little things that I'm doing? Because I started getting asked. What okay. are you doing that you're managing four kids and a business and, you know, your husband travels and you seem to have it 
somewhat together, you know, when right. you have no family around and no right. community, you don't have hired help. So you didn't have hired I, help. Okay, see, I don't understand. I had hey. hired help for a for a, a, a very small stint of time, uh, but it was not for long at all. And we don't so, have any hired help. We haven't had hired help for years. So you just do what you can when they're in school. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. Okay. All right. I'm just. I'm processing. Okay, so how so people are asking you what did you do? So you're starting to really look at like what actually does this all break down as and what were you finding? Um, you know, I just was writing it. I actually I didn't go into the theming of it yet or anything. Okay. I just I didn't put any pressure to reflect on it yet. It was just in a place of let me get it down. Let me just write these things down as they come to me, as inspiration strikes, as I notice oh, this is something that I do in my home or a thought process that I go through that then helps me to be calm and show mm-hmm. up as a better parent for my kids, as mm-hmm. a better partner for my husband, as a better colleague for my colleagues and <laughs> as a mm-hmm. boss to my employees right. and all of that. Um, and so I just started writing it down. And after a year, felt complete. Felt like, oh, I've written it all down. I feel like I've got this. It's, I feel... Just like the family. I feel complete. It's all out there. Uh, And that's when the reflection happened. Okay, now that all of this is written down, let's assess and see. What do we have here? And the five pillars came from that assessment. I like it. Okay, so for someone who's a parent, they're in the business world and they feel this chaos, they they can read the book and they can read the five pillars. But if you're like, okay, stop, hold on. Let me help you right now. You're going to start, these three things are going to be where you focus first on organizing your life. What would those three things be? Well, it's different per person. You know, I would yeah, ask questions yeah. like, what is the thing that causes you the most overwhelm and stress? What is something that if it was taken off your plate that you would feel so incredibly relieved? You know, like, what's that one thing? Let's even list out a whole bunch, do a brain dump and then go through and be like, no, this one more so than everything else. Like if that one went away, I would yeah. feel so much better. Right. Or what's another thing that you could add, which sounds like a lot, but what's one thing you could add into your life that would also bring you joy or stress relief? You know, whether it's a practice of journaling, of exercise of breathing in nature, of meditating, of connecting with a friend once a week or calling your mother, you know, twice a week or whatever it is. So it's, I would say it depends on the person, right? And that's where I work with my coaching clients is we work through those things. Let's get that list out there, brained up and slowly make our way through that list. Because what's interesting is that usually, right, one of the things at the top of the list, when that gets done, a lot of the other things start to go away. Because all you need is maybe one or two to either be added or taken away. And the rest then don't feel so overwhelming anymore. And then while you're doing this, and you're writing these things down, your main focus is also be courageous and growing it. So did you guys come up with this vision together? As it, so my couple. husband, yeah, so he he had the biggest vision of what Be Courageous was to be. And he and I are very aligned in our purpose, in our life purposes, <laughs> purpose I. <laughs> um, and so he had the main vision for Be Courageous and I was just on board. I'm like, that resonates. I'm so down. Let's do this together. We have very complementary skills. So uh-huh. it worked out for us that he could lead in the execution of the vision of the purpose of our mission. And I could be in that supportive role of operations, finance, HR, where, which is my sweet spot, where I spent over 15 yeah. years. So you're able to then take your knowledge and your expertise and apply it to this business with your spouse. My spouse and I started working together in 2020. And people look at me a lot and they go, you work with your husband? Like, Why? For us, it's the best thing that ever happened to our marriage. How was it for you working with your partner? I love that we work together. I love that it brings another dimension to our relationship and has shown the cracks of our communication so that we can be 
even better communicators with each other. And what I appreciate is that we have a strong you know, idea because we've talked about this around what are our roles and our responsibilities. So what is his, I can trust that he's going to get done his tasks, responsibilities and mm-hmm. strategy, what he's up to. And he trusts that I'm going to do my stuff and that we're both doing it in a way where we don't have to step on each other's toes or micromanage or any of it, because again, complimentary stuff. And mm-hmm. we just know that we can communicate about if we have any questions or concerns or anything that shows up, we talk about it. That's great. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's definitely not for all. I can see how it's not for all, but for us, it was being on the same page and having the same goal and focus that really helped. I think it, it really helped the relationship as a whole. And um, what, so you have, and just timeline wise, you have these four children and your brain dumping and organizing and writing out this book that you're going to put together and you're establishing and growing and running be courageous when did you take time for jenna how did you did you intentionally fit that into your week or did you just grab it when you could i i imagine it had to be really organized for you to find time for every single person and yourself because you're you mentioned like being a better mom being a better partner but at least my thought process is we can't be a better anything if we're not taking care of ourselves. And I don't just mean like hydrating and working out and eating. I mean like, who are we? Are we living the life we want to be living? Do we have a sense of finding inner calm and inner peace? So it's more than just checking a workout off your list, right? Like how did you really take the time to take care of you? That was very iterative because when I had started writing, I didn't know that I was writing a book. I would just write when, again, I felt inspired. And so in that space, I would, I had already started taking care of myself and taking care of my mental health, my spiritual health, my physical health. And that was very intentional. I am choosing to do that now. I'm choosing to do that. And a lot of the times it was the times in between because I know my schedule. I know my process of what the day looks like. So I could fit those times in to make sure that I was taking care of me and Uh noticing what am I doing in those times? What are those things that are nurturing myself? And then writing those things down as I noticed, like, oh, so my journaling practice, Hmm. journaling, let me write that down as like, I use a journaling practice and here's what it does for me and why it's so important and why I think that everyone should have a journaling practice because it could look like just talking into your phone. That's journaling. Sure. Journaling doesn't always have to be I'm sitting with a piece of paper and a pen and writing and it's like that's definitely a practice as well and something. Journaling really is so powerful. I find when I journal because it's a huge practice of mine, you just write shit that you didn't even know you thought or felt. It just pours out and it's such like sometimes now that I'm so used to doing it, I'll feel like this internal buildup that I know I need to journal to just like release and breathe deeper. It's really I important. find that journaling allows for the mental capacity to grow because you're getting out all those thoughts mm-hmm. and all of those things that are inside, you're getting them out. So you create space and neural pathways for new thinking, for new thoughts, to make connections for things that you wouldn't have put together originally for things. Right right? That wouldn't have had the space to show up because your mind was being consumed in those same thoughts that you've been thinking. So when right. you get them out, the brain can be like, hmm. sigh of relief, new thoughts showing up, new connection, creative problem solving, perspective, whatever it is, right? Yeah, but perspective you need to of, yeah, you need to give it out. And then when you're doing it too, you're just like, you have all these feelings and you don't really understand them. You haven't taken the time to really stop and fully hear them. You know, they're there, but you're busy doing this. And when you're journaling, it's like, oh, maybe that heaviness was related to this or, oh, this is really a dream of mine. And you're just giving yourself the permission to kind of release and let it all flow. And then I learn about myself things that 
they're just my thoughts. I'm just writing them down. They were probably my thoughts five minutes ago, but I didn't know. I didn't know they were in there until I just let it pour out. And I, you know, I, my journal's a mess. Like no one else could read it. I can barely read it when I go back and look at it. But a lot of times in the moment, I'll look and I'll be like, oh, oh shit. Like I had no idea. But thank God I just ripped the ball down and let it come out. But that's really interesting what you say about creating space because it does. It empties all the commotion and then you're, you're, you have more space for new thoughts and you're calmer and more open for new thoughts. So were you always a writer though? Because it sounds like writing something that you do. Yeah, I've been a writer. I started a journal. I think the first journal that I found of mine was when I was maybe nine or 10. I loved writing. Oh my gosh. It's like, oh, I feel for little Jenna. She's adorable. Uh, Yeah, it was, I've been writing for a long time and I didn't intentionally think that I was, you know, oh, I love writing, so I'm going to write. It just happened naturally where I enjoyed reflecting upon my thinking mm-hmm. and enjoyed putting my my thinking down and seeing what would come of it. And it started off like stories, like I was storytelling as a child, but in, in storytelling about my own existence. And then it, it moved into reflection of the stories as I was writing about myself, you know, and my experiences of, oh, well, what does that mean? And what what does that look like from different angles? And what what could that do for my future? And just practicing the, you know, what what thinking is when reflecting. It's like thinking about thinking. Yeah. And then it moved into like, because I've always loved reading and writing, even after I was done with school, um, especially I remember in between college and going to junior college, taking my classes because why not? Because I'm a wacko. You were just doing it for fun. I started taking Spanish. For that was my first. Are you bilingual now? I also have very strong ADD. I start a lot of things with great intention and I follow through to the end, but I don't always maybe go to the next step. I'm like, let me continue on in my Spanish journey. I was um, so impressed if you're like on the side, I became bilingual. <laughs> well, I wanted to because one of the what was rarely something of interest to me was helping the underserved in yeah. Los Angeles who mostly speak Spanish. And so I thought, yeah, huh, what if I what if I learned Spanish? And I took a couple of classes. That was great. But then I got into grad school and did that. And, and that was enough. Right. Right. Like you didn't want to do it on. Yeah. 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 And some sort of sanity was was left there for myself. Um, but I lost track. <laughs> Wait, let me think. Journaling. I think we were talking about journaling. I got it. I remembered. So in between going to undergrad and going to grad school, taking night classes, um, I'd be reading the news and articles around things. And I remember at my administrative assistant job i'd print out these articles and then would journal against them and think what does this bring up for me and what do i think about this thing and how does that relate to other things in the world in my life and i don't know again i'm a wacko so this was just a practice you came up with on your own yeah it was like doing your news article assignments for elementary school yeah you know where you, you have to clip something out of the newspaper okay i just dated myself you clip out a newspaper article and then you had to write against it, right? And then turn that into your teacher and be like, look, I read this thing. This is how I internalized it and what it means and moving on. And so that's, I did that my own like adult activity. Wow. Wow. I, my, a big takeaway for me from our conversation right now is that your life was, is very intentional, but you've also just allowed it you followed what you love and you've let it just naturally unfold for you. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that. That's your synthesis because that resonates. It, and I love it because I've spent so much of my life. I mean, I just turned 40, Jenna. And when I say so much of my life, I mean until five years ago, making my decisions based on what will make this parent happy. What will this person think? 
what am I not? It wasn't about me at all. And I'm trying to peel back those layers and figure it out. And now I'm talking to this woman who has trusted herself and her heart so much that from a young age, you just naturally let it unfold before your eyes. And that is beautiful. Thank you. I think that's so, it's inspiring to me to know that young people can have this ability. Right? Because that's what I'm trying to instill my own children and how I'm intentionally trying to raise them to trust themselves. And I love to hear that 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 happened for you as well. That's, it's really powerful for me. I love it. It's really special. What, um, what's your future? I feel like you have so many things that are going on for you right now. Do you have the next idea or are you letting life unfold for you? It's a mixture of both. I have a lot of ideas, a lot, too many, uh, not too many. It's the perfect amount. And they're just ideas, right? I'm not attached to any of them. And I also am willing and excited for things to reveal themselves and see where that path goes. I'm going to keep walking along a path that is overgrown with foliage and keep macheting my way through and see what unfolds at the same time. What am I going to come upon? As I'm cutting down this path, I'm open. Let's see. And, but with intentionality, I know what I love and I know the general direction of where I want it. For anybody who's listening right now and they're getting started on whatever it is, parenthood, career, wanting to start a business, wanting to go back to school, Do you have some words of wisdom or three pieces of advice or anything that you would share that you could give them no matter where they are in their life? I'd say one is coming at whatever situation you have or whatever crossroads or new place or transition that you're in with curiosity, coming from a place of of naivety, right, of you know nothing about this. Coming at it like a scientist. Oh, what is this? This is so interesting. Right? Being able to look at it objectively with just open eyes, no judgment. And from there, be able to ask yourself, like, what does this mean to me? Is this important? Is it in line with my values? What is important to me? And be able to make an intentional choice from there. From a very pure, integritous place about what you want to do next. I think that's really important. I think really, I I just listened to a podcast a couple months ago about the importance of wonder. And you said curiosity, same thing. And how important that is in leading us. Um, I think that's great advice. And I've really enjoyed this conversation with you. You're incredible and you're putting so much good into the world. So thank you. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Jesse. This was so much fun. And I'm just so grateful to have been here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, please rate, review, and follow along on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find out more about me at www.jessieblois.com and follow along at Facebook at Jessie Blois or on Instagram at at Jessie Blois. See you again next week with another great episode.